Okay, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Superhouse Podcast, Superhouse Live, whatever you want to call it. Um, I guess officially we're Superhouse Live now. I am Andrew, your host. Um, there are other hosts. Uh, I'm a co-host of Superhouse Live, but uh, it's another solo episode for me. The song you're listening to is Bye Bye Trough by Comma Boiler. Tim Rogers actually told me about this band, and uh, I've been listening to them ever since. It is off my Japan mix in my iTunes. Uh, so I just wanted to get started. Um, this episode is going to be about my experience in Japan. I lived in Japan for three years, and the story does not begin or end there. But, uh, you know, again, like I said in the last solo episode that I did, I wanted to kind of um, make Superhouse kind of like a way that we blog about our lives and not necessarily about nerd stuff all the time, all the time, all the time. And also, this is a way for us to get kind of like a little bit more personable, a little bit more personal with... Uh, with the audience, um, a way for us to open up more, be more vulnerable, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so let me start from the beginning. Uh, I probably started my uh, interest in Japan maybe a little bit before puberty. I can't remember the exact age. But I remember one of the first things that I came across was... Well, the first thing was obviously Nintendo. Um, but I, I was thinking I was too young to really know or begin to care about where my video games were coming from. Um, you know, being born in 84, I my first system was the NES. Uh, video game ground zero for me is the regular Nintendo. I completely missed the Atari age entirely, um, but I do respect that part of video game history. It's just not part of my uh, nostalgia as much. But anyway, um, let's cut to, God, probably somewhere in like 95, 96 maybe. Uh, I'm watching the Sci-Fi Channel and I see a commercial for something called like Japanime Hour or... It was like they would call it Japanime or an anime special where they were showing these bloody cartoons from Japan. Uh, this is pre-Pokemon, everybody. So um, this is before the age of like the, the cuteness of anime or, or, or even the weirdness, I guess you could say. Like at this particular time in the 90s, this was a time where they were kind of promoting anime as like bloody violent cartoons. And I always say this, but these were the three, the three or four that left a huge impact on me. And I watched these on the Sci-Fi Channel. Uh, they were Demon City Shinjuku, which I don't think I've even seen since then. Eight Man After, which I've probably seen once since then. And then, um, what was the other one? God. Akira, I think. Ghost in the Shell. And... Uh, and then a few after that, but the, the those were like the, the, the first ones. Oh, 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 the other one, Lily Cat, which is, uh, I, in my memory anyway, I haven't seen it in a long time, but it's like this uh, alien-inspired uh, sci-fi horror, and uh, I remember it scaring the shit out of me, but uh, I really enjoyed it. I bought it on VHS afterwards, and uh, I've seen people talk about it online here and there, so... Um, but yeah, that kind of that kind of like really planted the seed. Like, there's something special here with <laughs> with these cartoons. Um, 
but yeah, uh, and then a little bit after that, I was renting like I rented Dragon Ball GT on VHS, and I th- wasn't really into it. And I never watched any Dragon Ball ever again until like a year ago when I finally started watching Dragon Ball Z Kai. Uh, you know, now that you can like look on the internet and see what the what people think about ser- these uh, certain series and stuff, apparently Dragon Ball GT is like one of the worst, if not the worst, in the Dragon Ball uh, uh, line or whatever you call it. And then I remember renting. Um, I rented a few Street Fighter, fighter anime, uh, and then, uh, well, like, there was a TV show, I think, which had, like, Ryu and Ken going to, like, like a hot spring together or whatever, and I was like, what is going on here? Uh, that was, I didn't really understand Japanese culture that much at the time, uh, but, but yeah, and then uh, the Street Fighter anime that I rented later, I did not see this on Sci-Fi Channel, but, but, uh, the Street Fighter anime movie uh, with like that grunge slash, uh, what do you call it? Like industrial, there was some KMFDM in there. Like that soundtrack and the fights are really badass. Like uh, it was just like, okay, I'm not going to get this from American cartoons. Sure, the Simpsons are a little bit adult, but everything, nothing else is like anywhere near this. Um and then, of course, like I think after I started noticing that these cartoons are definitely Japanese, then I started to notice, I guess, I don't know the exact timeline here, but I, then I started to really think about how all my video games are coming from Japan. This is before Xbox, guys, and this was after Atari. Atari's pretty much gone. I, had, I never played one. And then um, before Xbox came around, so you have Nintendo and Sega for the first part of it, both Japanese companies. And then you have Sony come in with the PlayStation, also a Japanese company. So uh, playing video games all the time, basically my main passion growing up, uh, and seeing anime art or anime-style characters in video games. And then you start to... I don't know where I started to notice like actual culture. Maybe it was from... Uh, also, like having a, an interest in martial arts from liking the Karate Kid, I should actually back up because <laughs> that's actually probably the first thing that planted the seed was watching the Karate Kid, bef- like when I was really, really young, and uh, Daniel Daniel's uh, Daniel San's uh, interaction with with Mr. Miyagi and and uh, talking about the uh, these more you know philosophical side of, of martial arts and kind of seeing this whole, you know, learn to fight so you don't have to fight, uh, kind of, um, I guess you could say philosophy, um, you know, you, and you don't really see that in any kind of, like, Western martial arts, and, um, I, there was a lot of romanticization going on, um, I remember renting a bunch of, like, kung fu movies, too, that's Chinese, but still, kung fu, any kind of martial arts, um, I mean, I, blood sport was huge for me, uh, you know, I remember, like, being a huge fan of that. So, like, you start to know what you're into from a really young age, you know? And then, I, I guess somewhere along the way, like, through martial arts and th- even through the video game stuff, too, you, and, and, and anime, you can start to feel the culture a little more, uh, you know, what do you call it? Like, the how Japanese people are more indirect and somehow, sometimes seemingly more, like, honest in some ways, even though they're not as direct. 
um, you know, more genuine, I think, than Americans can be at times. I don't know. And maybe that's a romanticization there as well. But, uh, but yeah, and like even, even like things like in, like the minimalism and, and the art styles, not just anime, but they're, you know, ukiyo-e paintings, uh, woodblock prints or whatever. And, uh, and like basically everything, man. Even like the way Japanese sounds when <laughs> when it's angry in anime too. Like it's to me, it's better than how German sounds. Uh, not to be too uh, overly picky there, but that's just my preference. And uh, I don't know. Um, and then cut to like I'm, you know, from 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 time I was a kid up until college always really into Japanese stuff. So then you cut to July the 4th, 2004. This is a big day. This is a, if there's a montage of my life, this might be in one of the, this might be a clip in it. Uh, my friend Israel is talking on the phone on River Street in Savannah, Georgia. This is where we were going to college together there to SCAD, Savannah College of Art and Design. And, uh, he says he's going to Japan with some friends. Actually, he does this all the time because his mom works for, for United. Okay. Uh, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. We were overhearing this conversation, me and my girlfriend at the time. Uh, it was like somebody going to Mars. We hadn't had never even heard of this before. Well, I mean, of course we'd heard of it, but like we didn't know anybody that actually had done this. So... We're like, well, we want to go. We didn't even have a passport at this time. So we got a passport like pretty much immediately after that. And then, uh, so that was July the 4th, 2004. In September, I think, 5th, 2004, just a few months later, we were in Japan. It was my first trip there. So that was, you know, fucking mind-blowing, honestly. I mean, I'm from Alabama and Georgia, so... From the time until I was 13, I was in Alabama. And then from 13 until 18, pretty much. No, 13 until 22, I guess. 21, 22. I was in, um, I was in Georgia. So you're talking about somebody that had never really... I, don't, I had visited Chicago. I'd never visited New York. But when we were in Chicago, we didn't ride the train. We took, we took a couple cabs, I remember. So I was in the middle of Tokyo with my friend uh, walking me around... And uh, I swear I had, I didn't even know, he was talking about changing lines, like changing train lines. We're going to take, uh, what do you call it, Yamanote line to, um, God, I can't think of any other fucking lines right now, um, you know, to another fucking line. And I remember thinking, like, what is a line? What are you even talking about? And I was in the middle of fucking Shinjuku, I think, thinking that. Um, then I figured it out. And like a little bit after that, like on that trip, but I remember th being completely confused. I didn't know what a train line was. Um, I, I, that was part of it. And the other major culture shock was, of course, like when you grow up in America, you're, you're used to the melting pot. You're used to seeing a bunch of races all the time. Um, but in Japan, I remember seeing the sea of people. And this is 2004. This is when there were less foreigners than there are now in Japan and uh it was just a sea of people with black hair and the and like the same you know not the same but you know of asian descent so it was kind of seeing that sight 
was it was new to me. I mean, it was sort of a shock, but not that bad. You know, nothing was like crazy shocking. But the Japanese politeness and the Japanese modesty that, that was something that I had heard of on TV and something that I had grown to like about Japan. Before then, you get to see that in action as well. And that was cool, man. That was cool. And I was also, when I first visited in 2004, I was 20. So I wasn't. I mean, I was drinking. I started late drinking, but I was in, in America. I was probably 20, maybe 19 when I started drinking. And then I, uh, what you call it? So, we're, so like in Japan, I was, I was 20. But that's legal drinking age. So we drank a lot. I remember recording a video of us like drunk in a karaoke and, the, and, I, and some other footage too. And then I put that on a DVD and I gave it to my parents. And she was, my mom was like, you're, you're just drunk the whole time in this video. <laughs> but yeah, like, I don't know, man. And at that time, I didn't know any Japanese whatsoever. I mean, I, I knew like, uh, thank you and, and hello. And that was it really like, uh, you know, but then I met like, so Israel knew a few people there and he knew Tim Rogers. Tim Rogers is a guy that is a major contributor now to, um, to Kotaku.com. That's K O T A K U.com. It's a video game news website. Uh, the guy is like sort of famous in those circles now. And he was like kind of getting, he was like, had a famous blog, if you can believe it. He was sort of famous in those circles even then. And he, and he kind of held on to that. But his Japanese was very good. Um, and uh, a few other people that I saw there, I saw speak Japanese. And that kind of made me that kind of planted a major seed in my head so started studying japanese kind of um how do i say this i started studying japanese like casually or i wasn't like crazy serious but i was like i was like making some flashcards and i was like starting i was going down the road i got really hardcore when i finally moved there i went there another time in the winter of 2005 to film my senior project uh, I was a film major in uh, at SCAD, and then I graduated in 06. So June first, 06, I graduate, and then I take some Skype. I get on. I well, okay. So let me back up. Gaijinpot.com was a was a site I had heard where you can go to their classifieds and find a way to get a job in Japan teaching English. I'd heard about the teaching English jobs from from Israel's friends. Another guy named Eldon, this Canadian dude, uh, was there as well. He was, you know, a lot of cool people. So uh, I get an interview on Skype, you know, and, and then I get the job, like, while in Georgia. And then I move, I got, I must have gotten it, like, I don't know, July maybe? July, yeah, July. Because I think I was in Japan before my birthday in late August. I moved to like August 15th or something, uh, something like that. I can't remember exactly uh, in, uh, 2006. Okay. So then I start teaching English and I remember like, I didn't really have much culture shock at that time either. I mean, it took a while. Like there's, all, there's like many shocks here and there, but nothing like crazy. But I remember just like having one day, like my first day teaching English where I'm like, helping like set up chairs or something. And I had like a, not a breakdown, but I had like this, like 
very depressing thought. Like I just went through film school and now I'm, <laughs> now I'm teaching English in Japan. Like, what am I doing? You know, I was supposed to not do this. And I remember my mom, I remember telling my mom, like, I think I'm going to teach English in Japan. And she was like, well, what about film school? You're what, what are you, what are you, why are you doing this? She really did not approve of this whole move at first. Uh, but I was like, I don't know. I just, I, I remember telling her something like, I've tried not wanting to do it. I told her something like that. Like I've tried, I, I was trying to be objective. I was trying to be um, cool headed about it. But, you know, I was like, you know, 21, man. And I had just graduated college. Maybe 20, I was about to turn 22, I guess. And, uh, it was the perfect time, and I, I felt like I knew that. I knew the timing was good. I kept, you know, I, it was, I was teaching English, uh, and the job was like, okay, they called a human tape recorder, okay? So being a human tape recorder, this is it's not the official name. It's a name that they kind of like, the English teachers in Japan, like, it's kind of like a slangy, or they kind of like, they're poking fun at the position. Uh, if you're teaching middle school, in Japan, especially, you basically go in there and you're teaching in tandem with a Japanese teacher that speaks English or at least a little bit. And you walk in there in front of like, you know, 20, 30 kids and they're, they explain the English grammar lesson in Japanese and then they'd say, okay, Andrew, now can you say this or something like that? And then you just say the English line or the dialogue or the paragraph in English just so they can get the pronunciation right. And then there, you know, there's some other shit like the other factor here is that like historically, you know, Japan being so insular, part of the pro part of this is, is just so the Japanese kids can get used to foreigners I mean, they are like, even in 2019, they're like, there's, there may, they might be peaking at 2% foreigners in Japan now, like just now. So historically, you know, you're talking like 1% or less foreigners in Japan. So I say good on the Japanese government for trying to promote, I don't know what you call it, like diversity or like foreigner acceptance or I don't know. They, I think they just felt bad about they didn't they don't feel like they should. Uh, they feel like their country would be better off if they take part on an international level or something like that. Um, they want they don't want to just be like these shut ins, I guess. They don't want to be known as that, even though they're kind of uh, historically kind of like that. Um, so, so yeah, I was a human tape recorder. If you, if you're, and I taught in middle school only. I taught uh, English. I taught uh, elementary school for one day. I think they needed me for one day as just like a substitute thing, and like I, God, I. I think I made my own lesson plan. You have to make your own lesson plans for for that time for uh, for elementary school. You don't have to do that if you're in, if you're in uh, middle school. But uh, <laughs> and and man, I did not want to do that at all. I did not want to do that work whatsoever. I mean, I was literally the guy that was doing that job just to be in Japan as long as I could. 
Um, I, I did not care about teaching whatsoever. I mean, I had a good time. I enjoyed it, but, but yeah, there was, I remember there was this one student, she, she, in the elementary school, she comes to get me and she's like, (laughs) I'm in the faculty room and they send her, she's like, God, six, seven, maybe. And she's like, Andrew sensei, please come. I'm Lena. I am happy. <laughs> she says like the full extent of her, her English. And remember how many fucking uh, six, seven-year-old kids in America that aren't in bilingual homes can say like whole sentences in Spanish. All right. Think about that for a second. I mean, for, some, for whatever reason, like our, we, our language education is fucking abysmal in, uh, in America. Most people are just fucking terrible at it. And it's like partly the system's fault, partly the culture's fault. You know, it's a culture of being, God, I mean, English being like the world language, like we have the least amount of um, motivation to learn another language out of anybody in the fucking world. Like in, the, in, in Japan, there's like this whole industry about, you know, at the time it was Nova, which was a huge deal. They called it... um Ekimai no Eikaiwa, or something like that, like the the Eikaiwa, the the English English uh, conversation school in front of the station, like in front of every station, uh, and um, or there's probably something else now. Nova actually crashed while I was there. This actually dates me uh, talking about this, but Nova was fucking everywhere, um, and I think it crashed in like 2008 or something. But uh, but 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 yeah, like. That's just it just tells you something like there's English is such a huge industry in Japan in and of itself, like language learning. They're dying to learn it, that there's a school in front of every station for for kids and adults, you know, to brush up on their English conversation. And, and that's where I actually got my uh, I, w- I had my first interview. I went down to like Florida or something with my friend with Johnson, actually, from the from the podcast from Superhouse, we stayed at his place. And uh, we had, I don't even know where this fits in the timeline, but <laughs> this is before the Gaijin Pot Classifieds thing. But I remember, like, we went to, like, the Nova interviews or whatever. It was, like, this big, like, one half-day seminar or something. And and that's how they interview a bunch of people. I remember not getting it, and that, and everybody was, like, kind of surprised by that. It was It was, like... Cause it seemed like everybody got into Nova like that. Anybody could do that. Um, and you know, but I, but I didn't, I don't even know why, but I didn't. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> Oh man. The other one was jet. People always ask, were you jet? Jet is Japanese English teachers. And I didn't get jet because a, their standards are fairly high and B, like if I didn't get Nova, I wasn't getting Jet. I'll tell you that much. Uh, and 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 B, they were mainly in the countryside, and I mainly wanted to be in Tokyo. Looking back, I probably would have learned even more Japanese if I was in the countryside. Uh, but uh, whatever. Companies like the one I got it was it was called RCS Real Communication Solutions. It was Saitama based. Saitama is in north of Tokyo, I think. Um, yeah, north. And, uh, it's kind of like what I would call like, um, it's like the New Jersey of if, if Tokyo is New York, Saitama is New Jersey. Like some people kind of make fun of it, (laughs) 
I don't know why. Like Chiba is also, you know, like that, but it's, I don't know. Like they call it Dasaitama. So Dasai means like um, trashy or uh, God, like, yeah, trashy, I guess. Um, And then Saitama. So <laughs> it's like trashy Saitama, right? Um, I don't know why it has that vibe, but, but whatever. Like they got the Saitama Super Arena there. There's like huge concerts there. I don't know. But, um, but yeah. And then after that, I went to this company called Borderlink and Borderlink was like some offshoot of RCS or something. I can't remember. But the thing about Borderlink was they were trying to link you between the English teaching job and then actual jobs in Japan. And part of this was the benefits was you got uh, Japanese lessons. Okay. But I ended up being taught I mean, he's a good guy, and his Japanese was better than mine, and it still is better than mine. Uh, uh, by Mark, by Mark uh, Reichwine, I guess you can say his full name. He's on. He is on uh, like one of the past episodes uh, uh, of of Superhouse. Um, we interviewed him for a bit. He is still living in Japan, um, but yeah, he was my teacher, and he's. You know, he's a cool guy, but he's from like Pennsylvania or something. Like he was not native, and I was just like, "What was this company's resources? What is going on here? This is ridiculous." Um, all the while, I'm hanging out with like Tim Rogers still every now and again. Not all the time, but every now and again. And my and my good friends Mike and my good friend Glenn and uh, my other friend Mike, two Mikes, and then a Dan and a Phil. Um, Dan and Phil and Mike were from California and used to hear about In-N-Out and Jamba Juice all the time without, and this is before I'd ever lived in, in California. So I had no idea, uh, what, what that shit was. I mean, I'd heard about it, but I didn't really, you know, I, I didn't really know much about California at the time, but, uh, but yeah, man, it was just, it was just always a lot of, a lot of fun, man. I mean, living in uh living, I moved from Saitama. I was living in this area called, uh, Kami Fukuoka which is near, um, it's most people, if I say Kami Fukuoka, they don't know what I'm talking about. But if I say I'm, it was near Kawagoe, it was two stops away. Then they know, they know what I'm talking about. Kawagoe is, was this town that like had a really famous festival and it had an area called Koedo. Koedo means, um, like old Edo. Edo was the old name for Tokyo. So it was like, uh, it was it had like an area of Kawagoe was like a blast from the past kind of town. It was like a Renaissance fair, like all the time, I guess. Like there's some areas of Japan like that. Renaissance fair being the like it's it's like you're taking a step back in time, but not European Renaissance. You're going back in Japanese history. Uh, and Saitama was where we would go when it was kind of too expensive or too far to go into Tokyo. Um, but I remember like I would go to Tokyo a lot because I wasn't in Japan to stay in Saitama, man. Like Saitama was cool. I used to play in the arcades there all the time. I used to see some students in there and play them. I remember losing, uh, to, to the student at like Tekken six or five or whatever it was at the time. Uh, but, uh, man, so much fun, dude. But it was like, I remember it was like 400 yen or more. 400 yen is like four. God, it must have been more. It must have been more. It was more than this. It might have been like 10 bucks one way or something. 400 yen would be four bucks. But, God, it couldn't have been that cheap. It was probably more to go from Kami Fukuoka to Ikebukuro, which was the closest on the Tobu Tojo line. Uh, and we would go to Ikebukuro a lot. 
And and if we had more money, which we just wasted money. I mean, I remember just living paycheck to paycheck like crazy at those times. Um, we'd go to Shibuya or, or wherever, Shinjuku. Uh, you know, lots of karaoke. Getting drunk in Japan is the best, man. I mean, it's safe. Everybody's getting drunk. You got a train. You don't have to worry. You only have to worry about the last train. It, this is a big deal in Japan. If you miss the if you miss the last train, which is like at midnight, twelve thirty maybe tops, uh, then you have to wait till four or five. So you have to you have to go to the like. This is why the manga cafes are are big in Japan, or internet cafes, or or whatever. Or you just fucking sleep on a fucking park bench like a fucking dirt bag, which which can happen. What else can you do? And then <laughs> and then you. Uh, Catch that first train back to your apartment, which happened several, several times. This is quite a common occurrence in Japan. I mean, you know, it's whatever. It wasn't all getting drunk, but I mean, I was in my mid-20s. I mean, it was 22 to, what, three years? So 22 to 25? Almost 26? Like, you know, that was prime time. I was still, it was like college part two. I wasn't really ready to give up college life in a way. Um, I'm surprised it didn't turn into an actual alcoholic at the time. And, uh... And yeah, I mean, I was remember playing lots of video games, lots of uh, karaoke. Hanami was big, especially when I moved to Kichijoji. So Kichijoji is like the Silver Lake. It's like the Brooklyn. It's like it's like the hipster part of Tokyo. It's just so fucking cool, man. It's like nice. Um, it's God. It's like a mix of Silver Lake and Pasadena, if you know LA. Like it's it's like uh, it's like a little bit weird. And, but it's just so nice in the Hanami. So Hanami is like, um, it's when the, it's when the, the cherry blossoms bloom. So cherry blossoms bloom for essentially like just a week or so in Japan. And this informs a large part of Japanese cultures where, as well, where you have like people have been writing about the Sakura, Sakura's cherry blossom. They write about this in very poetic ways. Like, like, uh, how do they put this? Like, the sakura are so beautiful, but only here for a certain amount of time, and then they're gone. You know, they they there's been like meditations on uh, on 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 the sakura, and like what is the meaning of beauty, and like all life is uh, all life and beauty is fleeting, but that's okay. At least at least we ex- enjoyed it for a certain amount of time. Uh, you know, beautiful beautiful thoughts like that uh, that I've read from you know either translations or in Japanese text or, or whatever. And, uh, and yeah, we had these, it, Hanami means like to view the flowers, flower viewing, to see the blooming of the, the cherry blossom flowers or whatever. And which is, which is hilarious because on the one hand you have like this, and Kichijoji was known for that. Okay. It was Inokashira Koen, Inokashira Park in, uh, in, 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 it's near Kichijoji. They're like basically the same town, really. Um, they have two different stations, amazingly enough, but they, <laughs> they're almost the same, really. Um, but yeah, so you have like these, this really deep, these deep thoughts on life and beauty on the one hand. And then on the other hand, the Japanese tradition is to get drunk as fuck under these trees, man. Like for a week, it's like around the time of spring break, colleges are out, and Kichijoji especially is known, or Inokashira Park is known for like lots of college kids just going fucking nuts for a week. I remember just walking over bodies every day trying to get to my lessons that I was teaching or whatever. I I taught in a Kaiwa or, or uh, you know a a one on one adult uh, 
conversation school as well, right in the middle of uh, Kichijoji too, and for a while. And uh, God, man, people were just drunk all the time, and of course we were too. Um, when I wasn't working, uh, I remember like one guy in our gaijin house. Uh, that's what we called it. I mean, it's basically what it was. It was a lot of foreigners in there. Uh, he he. I remember going out and partying with him for a bit, and then they ju- they kept going. I had work the next day, so I'd go to sleep. I'd go back and go to sleep. I didn't want to. I had work, you know, and I've never been really a night person anyway. Superhouse guys can attest to this. And I remember getting up and going to work at like 10 a.m. It was fairly late. And I would saw them coming back from the party at 10 a.m. Like these guys are partying like fucking maniacs. Well past the first train, man. Like it was fucking crazy. Um, Backing up slightly, like I was, I really started to learn Japanese in the faculty room in Japan in when I was a teacher. So when you're at least at the time anyway, it probably still the same case. They let you study in the faculty room while on the job as an English teacher. So you have lessons at one hour, one period, and then you'll have a period off and then a period on period off, you know, it was like half the day or whatever, four classes, five, maybe. And then you have, you know, that's several, that's at least two hours, two, three, sometimes four hours of just studying Japanese. I remember just studying, studying my brains out, man. Like, I remember like my eyes hurting. I remember having to go to the, I went to the eye doctor one time. I was like studying maybe too much, but I think part of that was like, A, I really wanted to get, like I was just about, I was about ready to lose my mind. You know, I really wanted to learn Japanese. And and part of that was like, A, I just wanted to learn it. B, I was like, once you get past the, the honeymoon phase of living in Japan and past like, oh, I'm getting drunk in Tokyo. Ah, like you're really, uh, I really wanted to know what was going on around me. Um, I was so tired of like having no idea what was happening around me. You know, it was like, it, you don't, you never quite fully have your bearings. You know, some do, some people are perfectly fine not knowing, you know, like I remember meeting a couple of dudes that had been there for like over 10 years and didn't know fucking shit about Japanese. You know, it was fucking ridiculous, but, but I mean, yeah, so that was, it was a huge motivator and also having friends that like gave a shit, and we're studying a lot as well. That that helped out a lot. So, um, so yeah, all the while, all this partying and stuff, I was still studying Japanese like a lot. Um, I still have never gone back to quite that much studying, but I've been able to hold on to most of it. And I mean, actually, right now, I think in some ways my Japanese is better than it ever has been. I haven't, you know, I mean, a married Japanese woman that's a huge that that's that was a help. Um, and I host a Japanese group. I've hosted several Japanese language groups and I just try to keep the language ability up. It's, it's, you know, sometimes difficult living in America doing that. But, um, you know, my, to this day, my, my phone is in Japanese, my PlayStation's in Japanese, my 3DS, my Vita, you know, I have all the fucking game systems like they're my switch. They're all in Japanese. My Netflix, I keep Japanese subs on. Uh, you know, got to keep, keep the conjure reading up. And that also helps me to, you know, if, if I'm like right now, I'm watching high score girl in, in Japanese with Japanese subs on, you know, and on Netflix, that's an anime on Netflix and it's about retro gaming too. So it's like a plus it's win, 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 win. And, uh, man, 
it's really helpful, actually. I, I, I fucking recommend the shit out of it if you're at a certain level in your language studies. This brings me to one of the last things I wanted to talk about. There's, there's, a lot, there's a lot going on if you're learning a language uh, that people don't talk about that much, in, uh, you know, especially if you learn as an adult. Um, one of the things is you, let's say you're trying to speak Japanese all day. Or you're trying to speak a language all day. Like, let's say you're you're in that country and you're really gung ko and you're like, I'm not speaking English today. You you definitely should do that, but <laughs> uh, I don't even you don't even really even need to know this maybe. But I, maybe this is just me kind of like venting or telling my story or whatever. Uh, you get what I call like language fatigue. You get a certain mental fatigue where you're. It feels like. God, you just you're racking your brain all the time, especially with something like Japanese, where it's not like the the same um, grammar structure. Like, like if you're learning, you know, Spanish or or German or something like that's so much closer to English than Japanese. Japanese has no relationship whatsoever to English. So, so anyway, I remember like doing this and like just feeling like kind of tired like even though I hadn't like worked out or done anything that day and I remember that just like god it just like racked my brain man the other thing is like especially especially in the beginning and this could go on for years man you feel like you're kind of saying the same thing over and over and over in Japanese because your fucking ability's not there yet you don't have the variety in you yet for that um, you just got to keep on going, keep on going. And and then the other thing is there's a part of your brain, especially if you're a little bit older, like I didn't start studying in earnest until I was 22, which is old for language learning standards anyway, is that you, um, there's a part of your brain that's like, that ain't how I talk. But seriously, I mean, it's kind of like that. It's like, that's not how I talk. I don't sound like that. Especially if you have to talk in a, you know, Nihongo accento, you know, like a Japanese accent. You have to say things outside of your normal English accent, things you associate your personality and the way and uh, and everything about you. You think in that language, in that accent. So if once you start talking in another language and you're trying to get the accent down, there's a part of your brain that's like, that's not me. That's not me. And you just you just got to like play this mental game. It's like it's not me. It's not me in English but it's me in Japanese or it's that's what Japanese is. And that's what I'm going to do right now. This is, I'm sorry, this is, it's gotta happen. I honestly, I still struggle with that sometimes, but for the most part, you know, it's been doing it for so fucking long now. Like I've gotten used to it and that's, and that's what they say. They say that you, you don't learn a language, you get used to it. And I can't think of anything more true than that, man. I mean, there's learning and there's getting used to something, you know? So, God, yeah. I mean, that's a huge part of it. I mean, you learn kanji, but you get used to Japanese speaking it and hearing it. Um, yeah, very true. And and like back to Tim Rogers. Tim Rogers is a very smart guy, and he was like this. He was a sort of kind of like a champion of just getting it. He was a champion. He championed, and still does, I think. Um, intuiting something, you have to just get it. Get it by doing it. Just intuit. Uh, and I tried to live by those words when I studied Japanese because it seemed like that was correct. And he also had this one 
what do you call it? He's, this is a story about language learning. He applied this to his own language learning, and he applied this, and, and I, I remember hearing it, and then I remember he told me this, and I've, I took it to heart. He said that he one time saw somebody fly into Narita. Narita is the, is the airport in Japan. This is before Haneda, Haneda was even a thing, um, or it was, it was uh, domestic only at that time, domestic in Japan. Um, and it was, uh, he said that this old married couple came in and they, were, they went to the, uh, they was in the airport and they went to the vending machine and the, they had yen on them and they started putting in the yen for a drink. And then the husband says, how much is that in, uh, in dollars or whatever? And then she says, I don't know. And then Tim said he was thinking, I'm paraphrasing the story from like 15 years ago, but he said something to the effect of, he didn't say, he didn't say it to them, but he said, he said it to me. He said, it doesn't matter in a, in a way, it doesn't matter what it is in yen, what it is in dollars. The machine only cares about what it is in yen. And th- look, it's not a perfect metaphor, but I get what he's saying. He's saying that sometimes it doesn't matter if it's what it is in English. You ha- if you can intuit what it is in Japanese or whatever language you're learning via context, actually, that's really the biggest thing, uh, then, you, then you get it. And then it doesn't matter what is in English. You can start to, th- and that's the road to thinking in Japanese. That's the, th- you know what I mean? Like when you hear uno, dos, tres, do you really need to think about one, two, three? You kind of know what it means, right? So that's kind of like the road you should go down on when learning a language. Um, you just start to uh, lose, you should ideally lose the translating English part of your brain. Like, oh, konnichiwa means hello. Like, okay, fine at first, but like eventually, konnichiwa is konnichiwa. You see what I'm saying? You don't, you don't need to think about it in English ever again. And you do that with, uh, you know, more complex and more complex grammar until uh, until you kind of got it. Yeah, man. I mean, I was I'm a huge fan of just language learning. I love kanji. I still do. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm also just glad I know it now, because at this stage with a job that doesn't afford me hours of study like it used to like it. I mean, I can always complain. I feel like this is complaining, but, you know. Actually, you know what? I'm not even going to say it's more difficult. I'm not. But I do study less than I used to, and I probably should get back to it. I still speak Japanese a lot, and I still study kanji to a certain degree, but not as much as I probably still need to. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I went from games and anime, and I still love those things, but like Japanese culture, Japanese holidays, uh, you know, that's a big one, especially living in Japan. You know, like uh, White Day or like there's Children's Day. That's not really apply to me, but like Obon. Obon is like a Japanese Halloween kind of, uh, you know, Oshogatsu is uh, their New Year's, um, which is like a big deal and probably stems from a Chinese influence. Maybe it's not quite the same. Like it seems like the Chinese really go fucking nuts with parades and stuff. Uh, but the Japanese are more like solemn, I guess you could say. Like they're, they go to the temple and pray. They call it Hatsumode. It's where you just kind of like go to a, I, I think Shinto shrine. 
I don't think it was Buddhist. God, I should know this. Actually, it might be a Buddhist temple. And you essentially pray for the new year or whatever. It's like one of the few quasi-religious things they do still in Japan. And uh, then you spend it with your family. It's not like a go get drunk with your friends uh, kind of holiday like it is here. It's it's definitely like a quiet, cozy time. And, uh, and like, you know, learning about stuff like that and like festivals, you know, every town has a different festival. You get a, you get a country that's like over a thousand years old, could be 2000, you know, you see some temples that are older than America. Okay. Older than fucking America. Some of them are rebuilt at least portions. Um, but still like there's a lot there that's has a long ass history, man. And you, you feel it. You do feel it in the air. You feel it in the streets. Um, especially if you go to like Kyoto or, um, anywhere in the kinky region. Kinky is, um, it's the name of the region. Uh, Kansai. It's another, I think it's, I wonder if they're synonymous, exactly synonymous, but they're, it's where Kobe and Osaka and Nara and Kyoto, like all those cities are like right there, kind of right next to each other. And um, I feel like you feel it more there than you do in uh, Tokyo. Tokyo is a little bit more, um, you know, it's definitely old as fuck, but it doesn't quite feel as old as those cities do. Man, and like Nagano was also awesome. I went there like in, what, 2015 maybe? Fucking great, man. Like you feel like you're going to get tired of it, but then, then again, you never do. You never do. And like now I hear there's like surfing in Enoshima and there's a scuba diving scene also. Like I could just keep mixing on my hobbies like on and on and on and on and on, man. I just get these, uh, I get people talking like they ask me sometimes like, well, not sometimes, like a lot once it comes up. Like why, why Japan? Like why do you like us, you know, from Japanese people? I feel like Americans just, just assume why. Like, oh, you liked anime. But like Japanese people just like, you know, they, they want to, they don't really see themselves as like super awesome, which is a good thing. They're like, they're kind of modest in that way. They just, they're just like, why, why us? Um, I mean, I think it's just because they're just so different. I mean, they're different, but in such a likable way, you know, like, even though it's, it's interesting, like on the surface, you could see like a Japanese businessman, who works and the, and, and the wife works, maybe, maybe, you know, some social things aren't as progressed as, as America is, you know, a lot of times like having a housewife still sort of a bigger deal in Japan. But anyway, let's say you got a Japanese family, like on the surface, they're kind of the same kids play video games, play sports, whatever. They're, they're doing their own things, you know, studying a lot, a lot more than American kids. But, you know, on the surface, it's like fairly similar to America or the West. But then under that, it's like every single thing is different. You know, there's no religious thing there, or if there is, it's not Christianity. I'll tell you that much. Uh, for 99.9 percent of Japanese people, you know, uh, there is a little bit there, but not really that much at all. And uh, and just like, just to see another culture being quite that different, but at the same time so endearing and so likable. Uh, and then producing like, you know, sometimes better quality video games, anime, or, um, you know, martial arts traditions, things like that. And, and, you know, all the other cultural things that I've talked about as well, you know, like, man, it's, 
it's just a lot, you know, it's a lot. And like, I'm looking back on it now. I mean, I'm, I'm not that old, you know, I'm 34 at the time of this recording, but it's just like, I thought I'd, I'm trying to become more, you know, like I said, at the beginning of this, this episode, more personal, uh, make these kind of like audio diaries or whatever, audio journals, Andrew's audio files, whatever you want to call it. Like, there's a lot to say, man. There's a lot to say about this stuff. Um, and, and now you see like Japanese, uh, culture kind of bigger than ever, you know, via the internet. Like it's, it seems to be at least at the time when I was in college, like the internet was around, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like, like it is today. I mean, there was, there was like Facebook came in like the middle of my college, I think. And uh, you know, YouTube, I graduated in 06 and YouTube came out in 05. Okay. Like that, YouTube wasn't even a thing for, for a large part of my college. And I went to film school, but, uh, but yeah, it's like, it's like, it used to feel like more of a subculture and now it's still a subculture, but it's like a huge subculture. It's definitely like, and then the, I guess you could say like a sub subculture, you know, like, I don't even know what the fuck's going on in anime expo in LA. You know, I, as a guy that's been part of the Japan scene and lives in Japan and everything and anime being a big part of my growing up, like I definitely took like several, several years off of anime when I was in, this is like really, uh, I don't know if it's being vulnerable or whatever, but like when I, when I was a like in ninth grade, something like that. So we moved from Alabama to Georgia and I, uh, my, we, my parents were selling the house and getting some sort of like, you know, some sort of profit from it. Not like a lot, but like some, and they said, Hey, for moving we're we were spoiled doctor's kids. Okay. Let me just get that out of your, let me get that out, out in the clear spoiled doctor's kids. But this was like more than usual. They were like, Hey, so since we got some extra money, we're going to get you uh a present that's a little bit more than usual. So I got a Sega Dreamcast, a Japanese one. Okay. And I was, it was amazing. You know, I, I remember I got, I don't even remember what the first game was, but I don't think it was Sonic. Sonic was Sonic Adventure or whatever. The first one on that. And, uh, it didn't come on Christmas day. We ordered it from like, I think NCSX.com, which national console soul support X, I think is what it stands for. This was like an early website that was doing import gaming. And I was like fresh on the scene for that shit. I thought import gaming was so cool. And, uh, it didn't come on Christmas day. And I remember making my mother cry on Christmas day, I think. Cause I was a fucking shitty little kid and I complained like probably more than I should about not getting that game. Um, I was more than likely, I was more, more often than not a pretty good kid. I feel like I don't think I made my mom cry all that much. This might've been the only time, but I remember. So from that point on, I was also like becoming a teenager and, uh, skateboarding was about to enter the scene. And I remember just kind of feeling like I should write off video games for a while. So I played them every now and again, but like from that point on, that like affected me a little bit. And, uh, I didn't play them all that much. Uh, like the whole, I mean like the late PS one and then PS two GameCube generation. I skipped entirely. 
partially, I mean, that was the genesis of me skipping it was this incident with the Sonic not coming in <laughs> in time. And, uh, and then skateboarding, I just, that was the other thing. I was like, you know, I didn't want to be like an anime geek, super hardcore, at least on the surface. And, uh, I wanted a skateboard. So, and Tony Hawk actually was a video game thing too. Like Tony Hawk was starting to like boom and, and, uh, so I started to get into skateboarding that way. So I skateboarded from like the time I was 13 until I was in college, you know, so still do a little bit actually every now and again, mainly mini ramp. But, um, but the, anyway, kind of digressing here, but, but, um, yeah, that's been pretty much it guys. I mean, there's all, there's a lot more to tell. I mean, there's probably a lot of Tokyo adventures I'm, I'm leaving out and shit, but that's kind of like the bullet points there. Um, I still visit Japan. I've been back to Japan like two or three times since I've been back. Probably maybe even more than that. I can't remember. Going to go again this year um, in November, I think. And uh, man, it's always a good time, you know. Um, I want to add more to my Asia list. Uh, I want to go to maybe Bali or something if I can at some point. I heard that's incredible and it's cheap, you know. Like J- Japan's pretty expensive. I mean, it's definitely worth going, man, but it's, it's expensive. Um, but, but yeah, that's pretty much it, man. Um, you can catch me on Twitter at Thunderwolf Drew, Thunderwolf Drew on Instagram as well. Uh, you can email us at superhousepodcast at gmail.com. We are on, uh, if you search for Superhouse Live on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Um, we also have a YouTube channel that has a bunch of shit on it. There's a video of me in Japan talking about retro gaming and shit going to Super Potato. This outro song is also on my Japanese mix on iTunes and it is called Flare by the band Boris. They usually do a lot of like heavy metal type stuff like the Melvins, very influenced by the Melvins, but uh, they had this album and some other albums where they're not just heavy metal, they do a little bit more experimental type stuff and some noise rock stuff and some things like that. That is pretty much it, everybody. Um, oh, uh, probably most importantly, we're on patreon.com slash superhousepodcast. If you can throw us at least a dollar a month, that would be awesome. And let us know, give us an email or a Facebook message or something. To be honest, we at this stage, we use Facebook the most. Um, if you send us a, if you slip into our DMs on Instagram, that's also another way to, another good way to check us out. Give us a review in the, in iTunes. That would be great. That actually helps our exposure probably the most. And, uh, that's pretty much it. Hopefully we'll get another episode with all of us on here again at some point. At any rate, this is Andrew signing off.
You're listening to the Geekscape Network.